much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lohr And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to uh, This here horror business Episode 96 Episode right down there, nine to six roundabout. I shouldn't do that actually because I feel no. like, uh, so I I mean that in the most good natured way. Um, uh, you know, the same way like when we try to do a British accent and we all sound like the dude from fucking <laughs> Mary Poppins. Like we don't be we don't actually want to offend British people, but there is a weird like culture thing between the north and the south where like people. Not everyone, but a certain chunk of people from the South just assume that any joke you make is based in a deep sort of class distinction where you think like everyone from the South are like uh, hillbillies, fucking oh, yeah. their sister or something. And that's like not actually my, I mean, don't get me wrong, like the, there are parts of the South that frighten me, but I don't, I'm not that dumb that I think that is the whole, you know, region in fact there's parts i haven't been to that many but there's parts i've been to that i really love so i don't want to i don't want people to think i'm like painting with a broad brush i'm really just i i do that as like more of a silly whatever but i don't think you know i think when when someone has a has a regional dialect and it's treated unfairly people get really sensitive about it i know like one of the things i've discovered on the old tiktok is that irish people hate the way that we do irish accents oh boy oh, oh I, they don't well, like I mean- it I mean, in their defense, it, the, the Irish, I think the Irish are like kind of like, it's like the old adage that like, and by old, I mean like 10 years because t- Patton Oswald did this joke like 10 years ago about how Germans have no sense of humor because they don't want people to joke about the Holocaust and right. like they're afraid of every joke. Like, I feel that like I like the Irish in the past forever have had such bad luck with people riffing on them that they're constantly on guard. So, you know, you can yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 I could see that. I mean, there is a there's a certain thing too that seems to be like a that there's a lot more accents than we're accustomed to, you know? Like there's two different accents just in Dublin. Like literally oh, yeah. there's a north and south Dublin accent. Uh and like, you know, most people don't they just are like if they say fuck enough and they lilt a little bit, then they're like, "Oh, I sound like I'm Irish." And you're like, nah, uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know." I don't know. I don't. I don't pretend to be good at accents. That's not my thing. I've never been good at that. I also want to point out that riffing on people from the south um, is one of my pet peeves. Not because mm. I have any deep love of the south, and not because because I actually hate Dixie culture. Oh um, yeah. But I actually, as like a person who's familiar with class history, I have a sort of. Um, I'm ready to kill in defense of the history of Appalachia is what I'm trying oh, to say. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I hear that. That's I yeah. get that. I get that. So, uh, horrible accents aside, this week's episode, this, this week's, this episode is, it's a bit of a stretch when it comes to connecting things. We are going to be doing 1979 slash 81s. Island of the Fishmen, also known as Screamers, and then we're going to do 1995's film, Screamers, also known as Screamers. I mean, look, it's a stretch in the topic. The reality is both films are named Screamers. I do think it was funny. I did this thing where I posted the 
both posters and I said, pick your fighter. And I think just a lot of people don't know that Ireland of the Fishmen is also named Screamers. So the response I got most was just Screamers. And I was like, um, okay, which which Screamers, though? You can't just say Scream. Both the movies are named Screamers. So if you just say, I choose Screamers, that's not really effective. He's not really the communicating wor- anything. The worst part about the Island of the Fishmen poster that – yeah, builds it as it's like the Roger. We'll talk about the history of this movie, but like where it's billed as screamers. The coolest thing about that, it's like watch as a man is turned inside out, and you're like, holy shit! And combined with that image, you're like, this could be fucking awesome. And that just doesn't happen. No, no it one gets turned inside out in that movie. I mean, it's a fine movie as we'll talk about, but also uh, I want to point out, I'm not going to let you off the hook. How was uh, Screamers the Hunting? Released in two thousand nine uh, with our man Stephen Amell. I mean, we can talk about that further into the episode, but I'll just <laughs> I'll just uh, prelude here and say, uh, "Screamers are hunting." Was literally they were like, "What if we did Screamers again?" But this time it was bad. Oh, okay. I mean, even the idea, like in the movie, there's this whole thing where it's like, "What if the Screamers evolve to be more human?" And you're like, "Yeah, that's what that's what happened in the first movie." What What are you doing? Yeah, How is it this really sucks? They 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 kind of dive into that in the first movie. Yeah, like, that's kind of the plot. How are we? How are we? How are we covering this again? And there's a it gets worse. The whole thing. It would is, be like in it would be like in the Terminator if they were like in Terminator Two if they were just like, what if the machines sent a Terminator back in time to kill the mother of the human resistance. Well, and the, the whole point of the first screamers is that no one on earth really cares about these motherfuckers on this planet. That like it whatever the reality is, no one cares about them. It they don't matter. And then the second screamers is we think someone might be alive on that planet. You better go check it out. And I'm like, "No, 13 years later, no one's going, "Oh, there's someone still I guess we'll go I guess we'll go save them. I don't know. I guess we'll save yeah. the people on the planet we don't care about. And then they get there, then it's like, wait, you mean we're actually here so you can steal the designs of the Screamers? I didn't see that coming. I'm like, yeah, everyone would see that coming. What is happening right now? Like, I don't understand. It's bad. And, um, you know, you know, you know, Justin, that I have some love in my heart for Stephen Amell. Is that how you say I have it? I have a lot of love. I, I say Amel. Amel. Steve, let's say Steven. Let's say Arrow. I have some love in my heart for Arrow. For Arrow. However, I think you could do a not unfair caricature of his acting style, where he says things just a little lower, and he just kind of stares intently into the middle distance, and he never raises his voice. He just talks. And this, this is like the Sue Genesis. Like... Uh, the performance he gives in this movie makes the performance he gives in Arrow seem nuanced and complicated. Like, this is the worst case scenario for him as an actor. Like, he, whatever's happening, he only can raise his voice like one octave higher. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the dude just like is not doing anything in this movie. And the movie is a lot of him. It's mostly him. And then a, a, a female heroine who's supposed to be a sex symbol, and that doesn't work out for them either. Also, there's really not that many reasons for her to look attractive on the Screamers planet. Like, they keep trying to come up with reasons for her to, like, change and stuff. It's it's bad, man. It's a real, it's a real, it's a real we'll torture. But speaking of things that are real torture, let's thank our people who support us. Well, our patrons are no torture. No, that's true. Our, the people who support us on Patreon, you, if you're listening are the exact opposite of torture. 
whatever that is, like a nice bowl of frosted flakes. Wow, that you killed it on that one. That yeah, was really I, good. I, yep, that was really good. We have a few new uh, patrons, so thanks to those folks. I don't have my phone, so I don't know who they are. We'll we'll thank them. I I thank them by name on Cinepunks, so I'll, we'll get okay. to it. We'll get to it on here. Sorry about thank that. Thank you, y'all. new patrons. Uh, what? Who? Who else is responsible for this besides us? Unfortunately, Chris rejected the people at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, if I said to you, I want to get a shirt made that says, "Why is every film based on a Philip K. Dick story?" Why do they all have radically different titles from the short stories? That's Where what you, you want. Suggest? That's what you want the shirt to say. Yes. Yes. Well, I would tell you to go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Why is that? Because they are um, the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley and possibly the world. How how good of a job would they do? They would do an amazing job. They are. Um, personable, professional. They get you the best possible prices. They get you your uh, garments done to perfection as quickly as possible. Uh, it's just a, a stellar company to work with. If anything we just said has piqued your attention, if you have a band or a podcast or like a Peter Weller fan club that you just got to get shirts made for it, you can head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, the printing company of tomorrow, today. <laughs> was that a uh, what is that a reference to? Why is that? From uh, it's, I was making reference to The Simpsons when yes, uh, yes, yes, Homer, yes, yes, yes. Homer, Lenny, and Carl they they do their commercial for the for the nuclear power plant. Yeah, I love that. It's the job of tomorrow, today. Yeah. Uh, we also want to thank our other sponsor, Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, look, are you looking for the freshest possible coffee from folks who are uh, down to earth, easy to relate to, and willing to work with you to figure out the best possible homebrew for that coffee? Uh, do you want to also buy that coffee from the one of the dudes in Bain? Then hit up EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, you can also, with the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, get 10% off your order. Come on. Look, y'all, we know you drink coffee. You drink coffee. And sure, you're probably drinking something like a Starbucks something or other or some Cafe <laughs> Bustello or Starbucks? Whatever. What do I look like? John Rockefeller over yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. Go to Essex Coffee Roasters. Get one of their single origin blends. Have them roast it for you to order because that's what they do. Uh, or head there and get some of that herbal tea or some of that sick merch. And when you're on your way out, put in that code, man. Put in that Cinepunks 10%. code. 10%, 10% off. 10%. Essex Coffee Roasters. Nobody died as a result of their coffee. Fair. Yeah, good point. Now comes the time in the podcast when I am sleeping by the campfire in the ruins of some city on Sirius 6B, and there's a small child I picked up who um, repeats one phrase again and again, but I'm not alarmed by that. And uh, I've got my sunglasses on, and I'm watching pornography, apparently. <laughs> Or at least go-go dancers. Uh, go-go dancers. And as I realize that my tab is not on my wrist, that broadcasts my heartbeat out of sync with my actual body, and I am thus vulnerable to fucking killing machines, I take my pornographic sunglasses off, and I look over at Liam, who's fast asleep, and I say, hey, Liam, wake up. We're going to fucking die. What, are your, what movies have you watched recently involving... What have you done recently involving horror? 
That was one of your better transitions, I would say. Yes, and it was very bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, Justin, uh, I haven't gotten to do a ton, but I have done a couple of things. So, watched a little movie called Pale Door. Did you watch this? I've seen that, yes. Here's the thing, y'all. Like, there's a lot about this that I should like. You know, a uh, friend of the show, Pat Healy, is in it. Um, a few other recognizable folks are in it. Um, yeah, you know, horror cowboy movie sounds cool. Look, the vibe in 2021 is that we're pro witch on this podcast. We are pro witches on this podcast, and we are very skeptical of cowboys. And this movie is the exact opposite. Uh, witches are bad. Cowboys are cool. And, uh, you know, that's just not my vibe. So uh, I, I didn't vibe with it. I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's bad, but um, there's not a lot here to win me over. I guess the witch outfits are kind of cool, but they also kind of look like cheaper renditions of the outfits from Demon Knight, you know? Yes. Um, the performances are fine, but... I, the the for for the level of production it is which again there's not necessarily big big names in this but there's some recognizable people um, the production feels really slapdash and uh, and that's okay you know as you know Justin I can put up with some real low budget stuff but there's just not a lot here charming for me and again in 2021 we're pro witch right we're we're on the witch's side you know if we got a a team of swinging dicks. Facing off a, a, against a bunch of women who were persecuted for their divergent religious beliefs, feeling for those women, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a profound hatred for um, the cultural, popular conception of cowboys who are either servants of beef barons, so they should be fucking crucified, or instruments of imperialism and manifest destiny. And they should also be crucified. Whereas witches, uh, they're just groovy girls who just want to fucking hang out and have a good time. Or groovy people. They just want to fucking hang out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing out. I think you're a little more skeptical of the Western genre in general. But, uh, you know. Every, every Western, every Western is almost the exact same thing. I have watched too many Westerns in my life. And I, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you and say that Westerners can be great, and I love a good Western. However, sure. the how best... many Westerns, though, how many Westerns ha end in this variation? Well, sure, we massacred the red man's people, and we took his children off to be raised by white men, and sure, we desecrated the religious grounds, and white people have done terrible things to, to, to this noble savage. But I'm here to say that not all white people are bad. Right. That is every that that's that or some variation thereof is like the heart of almost every popular Western ever, except for Jane. I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think that's true of the European ripoff of the Western, which, if I'm being honest, is my preferred Western. Actually, I do appreciate some American Westerns and I'm not willing to write them off entirely. But if I'm going to choose between uh a a film starring one mr uh john wayne and a film starring uh well i wouldn't even say starring but directed by an italian gentleman whose name i'll likely mispronounce i'm going with the italian gentleman 
also see Spanish gentlemen. Also see most Europeans, actually. If Europeans went to a dusty place in Europe and made their version of a Western, there's like a six out of ten chance I'm going to like it. That's just how it is. The only actor before 1990 that was in a Western that wasn't a piece of shit was Jimmy Stewart. Everyone else can get fucked. Franco Nero, you're throwing Franco Nero out. I don't know who that is. See, this is the thing. I didn't want to say it, Justin, but my suggestion here that I'm sort of subtly hinting at. Wait, is he an American or is he like a an Italian? Oh, he's definitely Italian. Okay, yeah, I'm saying. Oh, I, I should have prefaced it with American actors. Oh, like yes, John yes, Wayne, yes, 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 Clint yes, Eastwood. Yes, 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 yes. Um, those fucking jerk offs. I mean, I do think like I get why some people have. It's worth acknowledging that people have mm, uh, mixed feelings on Clint Eastwood. That because of certain work that he's done, that people have affection for him. I think that that affection does not erase, A, that he was in some real bullshit, and B, I mean, let's not even take the fact that uh, Dirty Harry seems like a bad idea. You know, maybe the first one's okay, but certainly the sequels are bad. But what about the monkey movies? Everyone who's obsessed with how tough and cool Clint Eastwood is just forgets about the fucking monkey movies. Like that just didn't happen, and that like what, what, definitely happened. What monkey movies? Oh, all the he has at least one, but I'm pretty sure it's multiple movies where it's him and a monkey hanging out. You don't know about in, the monkey movies? In theory, that sounds like a good time. No, those are a crime. Those are a crime against cinema. I don't. I don't accept them. I mean, honestly, I'll go on record and say that Gran Torino was one of the worst films I've ever seen. And anytime anyone defends that movie, I think they're pranking me. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. I don't think it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I think that I don't like it, but I think my reasons for not liking it are ideological. Like, I think that no matter what anyone says, it basically is a defense of your racist uncle. You know what I mean? I mean, like even before even even before we get there, like I don't need to include like I mean, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all that that is like a defense of like the status quo. Right. And like, you know, bullshit get off my lawn is. Yeah. Like Uncle Jerry's, you know, drops the the S slurs sometimes. But like, you know, he means well. It's like, no, fuck Uncle Jerry. I don't yeah. have I, I get it. There is a burden for a lot of white folks where they there's there's so much dirt that they can't just write it all off or they have trouble with it. And I get that from a purely abstract point of view, but that's just like not where I'm at and I don't have to be there. So, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess I have to be there in the sense of like, you know, if you go back far enough, like I'm sure I had relatives who during the troubles killed some innocent people. Like I just know my, that's probably true. Uh, But you know, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, a direct relative who occasionally says racist stuff that white people go, well, he's, you know, Uncle Mike or, or Aunt Sharice means well. And it's like, no, fuck that. I don't, you know, and that's what Grant, you know, it's like, oh, well, given the chance, this character would make the right decision. And I'm like, stop. Likeable characters don't make the right, you know what I mean? Like people, yeah. people you know in real life who are actually good people often make the wrong decision for whatever reason, fear, doubt whatever it is greed you know what i mean like i'm i'm uninterested in this like let's redeem the angry old white man trope it's just not for me you know what i mean it's just not not something i care about and i will say like as much as i do think 
Clint Eastwood has been in some things that I very much like. I, you know, I, I we've also established on this podcast that while we understand uh, why you might appreciate the art of someone who's gross, that doesn't make them not gross. And to me, Clint Eastwood is gross. Like he's yeah. been gross. He continues to be gross. He's never redeemed himself from his gross politics. And I don't think that means like you have to hate Unforgiven per se, but don't like lift him up as a current director to me, knowing that he sucks ass. Yeah, he's terrible. Fuck him. Yeah. Anyway, so Pale Door was not my vibe. Again, friends are in it. I I think it could appeal to some people. I'm not going to say it's a piece of shit or something like that, but like. 2021, I, I want the same movie, but we're rooting for the witches. That's what I want. Yes. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Um, other than that, um, man, I don't think I've watched anything else hard related, which is like not my plan. Like we said, I said this in the last episode. I try to like sneak in horror between watching other stuff for other podcasts just so I can answer this question well for my man. Justin, so he doesn't feel like I'm not watching horror. But I really don't think I had a lot of time to catch much before this recording, uh, partly because I watched uh, an unnecessary Screamers that I didn't need to watch. So I've watched (laughs) three Screamers franchises (laughs) or whatever. Anyways, Justin, what about you? Uh, The only horror thing I've watched um, was... The Final Girl's newest episode was on the Argentinian film Terrified. Oh, or, sure. Or, yeah. as they say, its native title, Atorados. Um, I, get, I tried to give that the old rewatch. It's scarier than I remembered, so I stopped watching it. <laughs> sure. Um, but no, other than that, I, I, I haven't really watched, I mean, anything really. Like, The Stand wrapped up. It was fine. Um, were you less excited on it towards the end? Because you were pretty excited at first. Well, how to say this without spoiling it. Um, without getting too far into like my weird aesthetic preferences for like uh, the way that certain things feel in the Stephen King universe, this isn't a spoiler per se, but like if you've read the book The Stand or you've seen the miniseries from like the 90s, the way it ends... The way that's presented in the new miniseries, it looks the way I wish that um, it, like the entity it had looked in the new when in, in the new it movie. Um, the ending felt very unknowable and very Lovecraftian in a way that I was like, that is fucking awesome. Like this whole idea of the forces that are involved in the stand, like the power behind Randall Flagg and the power behind Mother Abigail. Like, I like the idea that the power behind Mother Abigail isn't necessarily good. It's just opposed to the random, the Crimson King, whoever you want to, you know what I mean? Like, whatever power is backing Randall Flagg. And the way this miniseries ended, it kind of felt that, like, more elemental than moral, if that makes any sense. Sure. But the whole hyped up uh, with a new ending written by Stephen King himself. Uh, actual fucking hot garbage. Actual hot garbage. Actual fucking bullshit. Um, indigenous person fetishization. Magical Negro fetishization. Actual horseshit. And this comes from someone who has defended Stephen King and his portrayal of Mother Abigail. Because I, I don't feel that that's like a magical Negro character. 
don't ask me to back that up because I it'll, it'll take me too long. Um, but no, the new ending they they tacked on was just fucking not good. Uh, yeah, I do wonder to what extent when we are when we are trying to diversify, but only through white artists. I think sometimes we will risk into the future that kind of fetishization where we instrumentalize things we don't really understand and we end up having like, you know, the magical native character or the... Well, I mean, I, I think in the case of Mother Abigail, I do think that Stephen King's intent was to kind of flip the whole sure. idea of like uh, representing the light is this old black woman and representing the dark is this like literally monstrously handsome white guy like i think that was his intent there and any sort of like magical negro trope i don't think was on purpose like i don't think his intent was like (laughs) black people have magic powers um so he gets a pass on the original mother abigail but this time around i was literally like watching it going like ah steve i can call him steve steve what are you doing like don't fucking no Get the fuck I mean, out of here, man. Th- this is how I kind of feel uh, on that. And I think they've done better since then. But on that first Godzilla movie where uh, Ken Watanabe is just there oh to like God, yeah. say. And, you know, I get it. Like, hey, this is an American version of Godzilla. But we want to acknowledge that Godzilla is coming from a part of the world. And so there should be someone here who's like, you know, the Asian Godzilla. Uh-uh. it's too isolating. You know what I mean? It's yes. too... And so that you only go to that dude so he can say stuff very quiet and intense because he's the wise Asian. And it's just like, it doesn't work. I think in the next movie, uh, I think they used him a little bit more. But uh, I, I like I like the thing that he did the, the best in the next movie yeah. is when he... He made the he you know pulled out that pocket watch and it's like you see that that stopped ticking at eight oh six a.m. on August sixth nineteen forty nineteen forty five when they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. This was my dad's watch. Like right. when I first saw that, I was like, "Fucking yes!" Like right there, they're just they're that's sort of like don't forget America, don't forget what these movies are about. Like just in case you forgot. But, but they do though. Like this is the issue for me though that will continue to be a thing with all of these movies is that they're. You know, there are central anxieties behind these films that we just can't get at. You know, young folks, and I mean even our age when I say young folks, don't really understand the anxiety going on in Godzilla. I don't, I mean, I'm glad they don't completely understand the anxiety going on in King Kong because my feelings on the original King Kong are, you know, people are going to... Yet again, accuse me of being an SJW or some shit, but it's look. fine. I feel the same way. Yeah, it's about being afraid of black people. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, that's what King exactly Kong's what it's about. about. Yeah, that's entirely what it's about. And so, trying to modernize it is always hard. And so, these movies are trying to get around it and and playing off more of our general fear of apocalypse and being out of control. But I don't know that they get there. I, they inevitably end up being these nostalgia things, and that's fine. Like I have, I'm nostalgic for those movies. Uh, well, more Godzilla than anything King Kong related, but still, I do feel that nostalgia, so I get it, and I'm okay with it. But trying to tie them to something deeper, I don't know if it's useful. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Other than that, this isn't horror related, but it was terrifying to watch. I watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah last night, and it was amazing. Yeah, I've been wanting to. I've been. 
I've been wanting to watch it, but also kind of like, so I, I, I talked about this on Cinepunks, but uh, I'll mention it in here. I watched One Night in Miami, which is like not even close to as intense as that movie, but it does very much have um, Malcolm X in it. And uh, in the in the in the movie, Malcolm X is talking to. Uh, for those of you who don't know, One Night in Miami is a fictional sort of setup where it's like the night that Muhammad Ali wins in Miami right before he declares that he is, you know, joining the Nation of Islam. He's joined not just by Malcolm X but also Sam Cooke and uh, Jim Brown, and they have a you know a night hanging out and talking to each other as friends, and it's it's totally made up, and all the conversation is made up, but it's tie- it's t- it's both tied into real things that were going on, but also a way to explore more modern conflicts and stuff like that. Anyways, point is, there are multiple points where it's clear the fictional Malcolm X character is very aware that he is in danger and that he might not have a future. And there's a particular moment where uh, he's trying to explain his passion to his friends. And he says, I just think the three of you represent a bright future for our people. And very sincerely, the then Cassius Clay, soon to be Muhammad Ali says, but Malcolm, you're a part of that bright future. And Malcolm Uh just gets a look on his face. I swear to God, dude, I just started fucking crying. Like, I just started weeping right there because, you know, I I, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was pretty young. It was one of the first sort of, like, serious biographies I ever read in my life. And I fucking cried at the end. It's so tragic. I don't know how anyone can read that book and not sense how tragic it is. And I get, like, you know, there's some discussion about how representative that book is and Alex Haley and is he trustworthy and all that stuff whatever I don't give a fuck about that my, my my point here is that it affected me and that movie got me there so then one of the other things I've always found upsetting and you know this from from me posting about it is the story of Fred Hampton and the idea that oh God, and, it's like yeah and that's not over right that every year cops shoot at Fred Hampton's gravestone just to rem, just to remind black folks who's in charge you know and uh, it's disgusting and what happened to him is is beyond what happened to the revolutionary groups of the seventies, the Black Panthers, the American Indian Movement, you know, but uh, the all the uh, the Chicano uh, organizations. What happened to these folks, perpetrated by the U.S. government, didn't just happen to them. The tr- the the crimes committed against them by our government that we still aren't really taught about uh, in a in a in a real way are some of the worst parts of the history of the world to me. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. they fucking so. I, I'm afraid to watch the movie, dude. I'm afraid I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to fucking just die. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's 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 um, you know, knowing what happened to Fred Hampton, it, it it's like as things are building up towards that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I felt sick to my stomach watching this. But I, I mean, I I felt there was a certain part of me that was, um. I don't know. Like it was this. This is gonna sound like kind of trite, but the only thing I can p- compare it to is like. I, I actually, I'm not even gonna use that comparison because it's it, it is super corny and it it, it it trivializes what I'm trying to say. Um, it's heartbreaking. You know what I mean? It's like you know what's gonna happen, you know what happened, um, and it just fucking sucks. And then it's like you know you're watching this and it's cut. It's cut in with an interview with um, Bill O'Neill, the titular Judas. It's it's cut in with like an interview that he did, and you know this isn't a spoiler. This is like a historic fact. Like um, he 
he died by suicide right after that interview. Like, literally the night after he finished that interview. So it's like you're watching this movie and you're seeing all this horrible shit happen. You're seeing all this horrible shit being recreated and then you're seeing this interview with this, 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 this man and you just know how the story ends for everybody. And I don't know. It, 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 it's like... I understand how this can be seen as like an uplifting film because like Fred Hampton was a revolutionary. Um, there would be no s- real progress in the civil rights movement without men like Fred Hampton. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I they, think they, he was 21 when they killed him. He had done he literally, so much. He was a fucking kid. Yeah. He was a fucking kid. Um, and, you know, I, I think it may, maybe it's just like the... I, I think what he did was more important than what Martin Luther King Jr. did. I think what he taught was, was more important than that. Because there's no, there's no distorting the teachings of Fred Hampton for, for, the, for the sake of white comfort. Um, that's not to say he was like anti-white, obviously. But you can't use what he said to make yourself feel better about your own internalized racism. And well, and it's worth it's worth naming too that the Black Panthers were, um, you know, a, basically a, a, a revolutionary organization. Uh, a, yeah, a, a, you know, a workers' organization, uh, an, an organization, you know, striving towards socialism, communism, whatever. And that that's the real issue here. That's why they're painted as a hate group. You know, meanwhile, they they did more work. I mean, Fred Hampton specifically with his Rainbow Coalition did more work to bring people who were different together than almost anyone else, at least at that time and probably since. That's why that's why Hoover had a hard on for killing him. Right. Was because it's one thing to it it was one thing for him to go out into um, urban Chicago and get, you know, other black men riled up. They were like, yeah. The second he had like poor white working class people on his side and poor Chicanos on his side, then it was like, oh fuck, this is like an actual this 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 guy has you know, there there's something here that that's that's an actual threat to our order. Um and yeah, it's it's just it, it's just a fucking bummer. I mean, it's an amazing film. You know, Daniel Kaluuya is an amazing actor. Uh everyone involved in the film is just incredible but it's just it's i don't know it just like after i was done watching it last night i was like oh i mean i i feel that's a necessary viewing experience i feel that everyone should see it but i don't know it just it it took it out of me i mean i'm gonna watch it i'm not yeah yeah but i just have anxiety about it you know what i don't have anxiety about justin uh, 1979's Italian action horror film directed by Sergio Martino, starring Joe's Barbara Bach, Joseph Cotton, and Richard Johnson, Island of the Fishmen. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. I knew it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1979's Italian action horror film directed by Sergio Martino, Island of the Fishmen, later recut by the fucking king, Roger Corman, as Screamers. We'll be right back. This year, thousands of women will be targets of violent sexual assaults. In some cases, the attackers won't be human. Something waits in the dark. From the icy blackness comes an unearthly, inhuman horror rising up to seek the warm blood, the soft flesh. Help! 
Something waits in the dark. Something monstrous. Something evil. Something only part human, living to satisfy its unspeakable cravings and unnatural lusts. They feed on fear. They thrive on terror. The night is the hunting ground and women are the prey. Who will satisfy them next? If it finds you prey, is kill you something waits in the dark and we are back to talk about 1979 slash 1981's italian action horror film directed by sergio martino island of the fishman aka screamers aka le continent de home passant so here's my question to you justin which cut of this did you watch i watch. well there's two cuts right there's there's island of the fishman and then there's the the cut that we watch, which is the Roger Corman cut with like, I think 20 minutes or no, they, he cut a hat. Let me, yeah. So he I, cut, I, I just watched whatever's on Amazon and I don't know which version it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Did yours open up with people? It was like the Caribbean 1981. Yes, and then the, yes, yes, yes. That's, yes, yes, yes. that's, that's screamers. Okay. That's the Roger that's Corman what I version. Thought. I thought that was true, but I wasn't sure. So basically what Corman did was, he purchased the rights to the film, and then, or it wasn't. It was Roger Corman was in charge of it. It was New World, did it where they uh, shot a new opening. They cut about a half hour and they replaced it with like twenty minutes in, or something. Some weird, some weird thing where they cut a bunch of shit, filmed a bunch of new stuff for it. Um, so this movie has like a kind of interestingly checkered production history. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to say it suffered. I, I mean, I can't imagine that the original was, you know, amazing or any worse than this. Um, but either way, I just I fucking love this movie. This movie was such a goddamn blast to watch. I mean, I'm really curious to watch the original cut. Like, I, I, I like Martino a lot. And so I imagine I would like his cut, too. But- what else has he done? Arizona Cult Returns, The Strange... Oh, he did a bunch of giallos. Dude, he did fucking... Your Vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Right. All the Colors of the Dark, and, and torso. torso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The that's Visitor. I was... I, that's why I wanted to get my thing was... Uh, y- y'all, I know he did a bunch of giallo, but I'm always like, okay, Martino did a bunch of these giallo. Which ones did he do? And it's like you could really look at his... Not even counting Torso, but his other giallo as sort of a cycle. Like, and that they... There are certain themes. If you anyone out there who has the uh, "Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key" Blu-ray that came out from Arrow, there's a really good audio essay on it about Martino and about his directing and his cycle. He has these three sort of very urban giallo that he did, and uh, uh, there's like certain themes and stuff. I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but uh, they they're different than his style and and the themes he explored were different than some of the other Gialli. He kind of has his own vibe with stuff. Um, anyway, so I like I like uh, I like him a lot, and of course, Torso is that perfect to me that perfect bridge movie where Gialli. I mean, you could argue that 
Tenebrae is that as well. But uh, it's that perfect movie where Gialli meets Slasher. You know, it's like yeah, it's like let's combine. It's it's kind of like when a uh, when a classic death metal band hears one of those uh, hardcore bands from the '90s that was ripping off their rips riffs and decides to add a breakdown to one of their songs. You know what I mean? Like that's oh, yeah, that's called Harmony Corruption by Napalm Death. I'm yeah. familiar. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about Torso. Torso's like, oh yeah, that I got you. I could do this. Let, let let me do a little bit of what you guys are doing. You know? Yeah. So you know, whatever. Anyways, point is. I like Martino a lot, and this was on the list of movies I wanted to see, only I forgot that it was called Screamers. So that's the issue that me and Justin had in our communication and why I watched Screamers The Hunted. The Hunting. The Hunting, right. Because I was forgetting that Island of the Fish People was retitled as Screamers. So, yeah, that was my fault. That was my fault. But um, I'm curious to see his cut, but what I was going to say, that was my transition phrase to say... That's not because I think this Corman cut is bad. In fact, it's so fucking entertaining. It's, uh, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but let me return to this theme. We covered it when we did our classic. Uh, we did it when we did our Universal Monsters thing. Outside of the creature of the Black Lagoon, I'm not a big creature feature guy. You know, there's a whole genre of horror that's just a guy in a suit or 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 a woman. I'm not trying to be sexist, but you know what I mean, like. The whole plot of the movie is that someone has a rubber suit on, and we're going to see him, and we're either going to see him right away or we're going to see him later on, but that's that's what we're doing in this movie is a, is a dude in a suit or someone holding a tentacle or whatever it is, you know? That's not often my favorite kind of horror movie, and so going into this movie, I thought, cool, there's going to be fish creatures, whatever, and from fucking jump, I was into this movie, dude. Like, I just was sold. I was sold on the way the fish creatures kill people. I was sold on, like, the creepy setting of the island. I was sold on the, like, once you get past the intro, which is still very good, the rest of the movie is so Italian. It's so just this European high kind of, like, uh, everything is up at an intense level. And people are saying it just insane things to each other. The script is, like, people just make statements at each other they're not always related you know what i mean like it's just this weird fever dream it's a period piece uh, for whatever reason i just the the fact that there's no we start off thinking that there's these are lost creatures from atlantis and then it turns out that they're actually just fucked up experiments so fucking good man But atlantis is also real oh that's what Atlantis is real that's what i love it's like I, i was waiting for them to be like I was waiting for them to be either that like, or it was it was like you know he's like oh and then I trained these fish people who were the original inhabitants of Atlantis and you're like okay I'm on board and then he's like actually no they're just people that I've you know it's this weird like Doctor Moreau fucked up thing where he turns people into fish people and you're like oh that's also interesting wait Atlantis is still real though so there's still this yeah. like, weird hidden civilization that I, I, I this movie was just so fucking bonkers. And how it just like asks you to accept so much, and you're like, no, cool, yeah, that's fine. Atlantis is real. Keep going. I mean, literally, okay. Things to accept in this movie: one, this motherfucker just has an island, and no European power has come along to go. We got to pay us. You got to pay us taxes for this island, buddy. No, this is just his island. Then he just happens to discover that under his island, as opposed to every other island, is Atlantis. Yeah, it's just under his island. And I love at one. Go ahead. I was gonna say I love at one point how he's like lecturing the fucking captain or the the the, the lieutenant, and he's just like, "I yearned. I'm a scientist. I yearned for my own island away from the laws of man." And it's like, 
dude, that's that makes you a libertarian, not a scientist. And you're just as much oh of an asset for that. And then that everything is through this doctor who we he we you know, we feel bad for this poor sick doctor. And it turns out that guy's a psychopath who's been making fish people. Why? Well, because of overpopulation. I'm sorry. No one in the 1700s or whatever this is supposed to be, which it feels like 1600s, 1700s, something like that. No one was worried about overpopulation at that point. That wasn't a thing yeah. yet. But this dude is like, no, nah, man, we're about to overpopulate this whole planet. And that's why we got to be fish people. And you're like, what is even fucking happening right now? I don't even understand. Yeah, like, I, I, like at least it was like, I don't know. Like, I, I felt like they could have gone like... It, if they wanted to go like true Italian horror, I was really hoping they would have gone for like, you know, the guys like, they say there are some things that man shouldn't do and man should leave strictly in the realm of God. Well, I say to hell with God. I say we throw off the shackles of morality and see how far we can go. Like, it, <clears throat> that was like Hannibal Lecter yelling something. Yeah, that was really weird. Um, yeah, yeah. But you see, you see what I mean though? Like if, if they were like, if this guy was like, look, I can do this, so I'm going to do it, and I don't give a fuck about morality, like a like a John Hammond from Jurassic Park. I'm like, that's awesome. But the fact that he's like, well, yeah, I mean, eventually, like, it's going to get crowded on land. So we just, our own our only option is we have to become fish people. There's yeah. no other. What else no could other we option. possibly do? And then, yeah. and then he's made a fucking army of practically invincible fishmen, and. Richie McRickster, who he works for, is like, yeah, these guys exist to get gold for me from the underground thing. And then once they get all the gold, I'll just kill them all. Wait yeah. a minute. You have a fucking army of fishmen at your control, and you're just going to rip off the dead. That's all you could come up with for them to do is to steal you some dead. gold. It's so weird. And why does he have a whole troop of what appear to be african natives that just do whatever he says that part was very italian because it was so weirdly racist but kind of worked for this character because he's the ultimate colonialist right he has discovered a lost civilization and a scientific innovation and both of those things only exist for him to get fucking gold there are so many bigger things he could do both good and bad he could you know, revolutionize the world of science with his discovery of Atlantis. He, he could, could fucking cure cancer. Yeah. Or let's say he wants to be a bad guy. He could use his fishmen to to destroy most civilizations on Earth. But he just wants the fucking gold. It's so crass. It's the most crass thing I think I've seen in a movie in a long time. And he's such a fucking dickhead. Just the worst. He's so fucking insufferable because he's always like, uh, to the lieutenant, he's like, ha. Good luck, Lieutenant. Good luck getting off my island with my fish people on your trail. Ha ha ha! Give it a shot. Like, he just, he just, I don't know. There's just something about this guy that is, like, he he should have been twirling his fucking mustache the entire time. Oh, sure. Because he's constantly, like, lecturing people, like, how he's above the law and how, like, he can't be touched and how he's so superior I, and he, I don't know. It's it just, you're right. It's such a fucking crass, short-sighted colonial movie. Um, 
but I, I still, I don't. I still no, like, I, I just I was, mean that guy is. I love the movie. I'm not criticizing the movie in that sense. I'm saying this dude is the ultimate villain because he can't even be creative with his own evil. That he's he's really just boiled this down to the most. And and in a sense, I think that's a smart decision because he's really showing that this guy fucking sucks. I mean, yeah, he, he's literally like I've known this woman since she was a small girl, and then he tries to rape her. Like that's where this dude is. Is like you know he's he's he, you know. He's like a father figure to this girl in some ways, right? Like he's known yeah. her since she was a child, and then he wants to take advantage. He has the 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 amount to which he's willing to push these folks who just serve him for no discernible reason. You know, he just starts shooting them when they disobey. Like it's crazy, and then he lets them fight the fish people. It's uh, anyways. It sounds like I'm complaining, I guess, but that's not what I'm doing. This movie is. Really fun. I think it's. I think partly it's like there's a lot of affectations here that are common to Italian horror. That I think a shorthand for it would be Fulciisms, but I actually think they're more common than that. They're things that you could associate with a lot of gialli. Those like that sense of mystery. You know, like what's actually going on here is really basic. There are fish monsters. That's the thing that's going on, and yet. Every time some guy runs off into the woods, there's mist and there's mystery. And then suddenly there's a fish hand ripping their face apart. You know what I mean? It could be a lot more crass. I'm saying crassy. That's what I mean. It could be a lot more blunt than that, right? It's a movie about fish. It's literally guys in rubber suits movie. And yet it plays it like there's a weird mystery going on. And the girl, like, whose side is she on? She knows the fish people. Like, all of the complication of it, the idea, I mean, in a sense, it, it almost feels like a Gialli in the sense that, like, the whole, these fish people are ancient Atlanteans we found, is kind of a red herring, even. Like, yes. I love all of that. I love the way it, it it's taking some of those tropes that I associate with a certain kind of Italian filmmaking and shoving them into a movie that like, it's, it's not surprising to me that this appealed to Corman because, you know, an Island with a scientist and fish people feels like a Corman plot to me that he would have made up himself, you know? Also, I, I know that the intro was shot by someone who wasn't Martino. Um, but that intro feels like a Gialli. Right. Because there's like the, there's all these like weird shots of like mist and like people looking afraid and the camera following their gaze, darkness, and then like lots of like voyeuristic camera angles. And then as a whole, one thing I noticed about this movie is that every time they showed a fish person's hand, it felt effective. Which right. is more than you can say about the creature from the Black Lagoon. Sure. Because like, yes, the sight of the creature's hand is terrifying when it reaches in the tent or not through the, through the fucking window with a boat but the one problem i have with with you know when you show like spooky hands doing creepy things is like you're like why why are they doing that like why would the creature do that like the scene where the the creature reaches out onto the log and you see its hand you're like why is it sticking its hand out of the water it wouldn't do that like every shot that you see something's something's hand in this movie you're like no that makes sense because the first time we see the hand we're seeing the creature's point of view and we're seeing the hand on a rock and then we only ever see the hands when they're like attacking people or reaching out of the mud to grasp unfortunate jose um I, okay there is one exception to what you're saying in the What's that? in the pre-section not shot by corman 
I don't think, but that, you know, the American introduction, there's a point where a hand comes out of the sand like it's a zombie, and it's not clear that that's, they're not in a marsh, they're on a beach, so it feels like a corpse hand, and that was the only moment the whole movie where I went, what the fuck was that about? Like, oh, that, that, oh, I, was, I, that, that part, that, that actually kind of spooked me. Oh, I didn't like it because I was like, wait a minute, are these sea creatures or are they zombies? What's going on right now? But that and was then, the only one. The, the, the skeleton comes alive at one point. Oh, that's true. That was also very weird. <laughs> uh, I guess in retrospect, if that was like a failed experiment, that kind of makes sense. Uh, I, I agree with you. I choose to believe it was a failed experiment. Um, I hold fast to my statement that the fish fishman hands are are spooky every time you see them. Well, they do really good. I mean, it almost feels like slashery the way like the hands just come out and kill someone. Like at moments yeah, it's where awesome. it's so fucking good. It's I, I don't know. Again, uh, maybe what this is is that this is adding in enough variety to a type of horror that I don't usually vibe with. That suddenly it's interesting to me. Kind of like with music, right? Like. It, you can take a, a very like uh, familiar form, but if you add just enough differences, sometimes it comes out being something unique. You know, yeah, that's how I feel about this. Like, this is enough of a weird take on this genre that it appeals to me, and maybe that makes me, you know, not an appreciator of this kind of movie, which is very popular. A lot of people love a basic creature feature, but for me, this is better than most creature features I've ever seen. The way this movie. You had touched upon it earlier, how like it has a very dreamy look to it, almost like a Gialli does. Um, I think a lot of the underwater scenes with the the fish people, uh, especially the way the fish people look, add to that sense of like surrealness. Um, because the, the 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 design of them, they have these like they look like tatters of like flesh falling off them, and when they're swimming, it's they look like streamers coming off their body. And it just adds this whole, um, like, unreal sense to what we're seeing. It adds this, like, fantastic, uh, like, a touch of the fantastic that isn't really in, that you wouldn't see in, like, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I don't, I'm not bad the movie. I love that movie, but there's something in the way that this movie is shot when they show the fish people. And it, they, <laughs> let, let me just say up front, just all cards on the table. If I'm not saying that the fish people look good, these are not amazing looking costumes. No, it's, they're fine. It's it's the the special effects of the movie are not spectacular, but they're, they're not fine. they're not terrible either. But it's the way it's shot. It adds this like it's I don't want to say beautiful because that feels like I'm like overreacting. But for lack of a better word, look, this movie looks beautiful at times. It looks far better than it needs to. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that that it, it could still work and not be as visually impressive. It wouldn't be as good, but it could still function. And yet, it it reaches certain heights that you get surprised. At least I got surprised by. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I, the, like when you make an, a movie called Island of the Fishmen, you don't have to work very hard on that. You just get a couple guys in rubber suits. Some you know vulnerable, attractive woman with a with a tits hanging out. You got it. There it is. This movie did so much more than that. There's fucking Atlantis in this movie. They didn't need to have Atlantis. I will say that um, I was kind of okay with him having the you know uh, entourage of you know 
tribes people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're indigenous, if they're black, whatever they're supposed to be. The voodoo angle felt superfluous to me. Yes, I was going to say that. It's the one part of the movie that I'm kind of like, I get, you know, anyone who's familiar with Italian movies know that, uh, or probably a few different European films, but let's just say Italian movies. They're kind of fascinated by uh, parts of the world that have been a part of the colonial imagination. Let's put it that way. And so I'm not surprised that there is some fetishization of that in this film, but when it becomes really clear that the voodoo is just window dressing and it has nothing to do to move the story forward, it makes it feel kind of gross. It's kind of like we're on an island. There's some, you know, black folks or brown folks, whatever, you know, the director had in mind here. Let's just throw voodoo in there. And it like, it doesn't matter. It's just there to give the island texture. And I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, they could have. I I kept expecting them to work it in somehow. Like, um, there's the scene where the the daughter is like presenting the fish people with their, it's like their their drug that they she they keep them addicted to. Um, I kept expecting that to be somehow worked into like some sort of like voodoo ritual, or maybe even that like the doctor was using voodoo as to explain. Um, oh, I can transform you know people into like fish people through the magic of voodoo. But I mean. That would have been offensive. Like, that's offensive. But the fact that they just were like, yeah, voodoo, and they just like threw it in there, that's actually more offensive to me than, oh, they, yeah. than it would be if they just had been like, uh, if it was just like a, like a trick they were using to, to keep the natives in line. Far more. It's literally, they're just like, we're on an island. There's some not white people here. We got to have voodoo. We just got to yeah. do it, or else it doesn't feel like we're on an island. It's very, it's. It's strange. I guess it's not strange. It's not surprising when people do things that are racist. So I shouldn't be surprised. But yes, it is, to my taste, the only unpleasant. I mean, obviously, any uh, sexual assault is unpleasant. But I think in the film, it doesn't happen. It's just sort of like a threat. And I don't. That doesn't get under my skin as much as a film that would actually have a sexual assault in it. So, yeah, that leaves the voodoo as the one thing for me that is distasteful about this movie. Uh, agreed. It doesn't ruin it. I don't want to discourage people from watching it because voodoo is in it. But you're watching it going, ah, if that wasn't here, this would be pretty high up my list. You know, again, it's not amazing cinema, but you know, there's a certain kind of effective joy that you can get out of a well-done B-movie, and this is right there. It's firing at all cylinders. It's really working. It's, it's a shame that the only people who have seen this movie are the people who made it and you and I. <laughs> I think this I think this movie is, is as effective as anything Fulci did. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but it, it is further evidence to me that Martino is an underrated director. Um, yes. I know people love Torso. Torso's pretty broadly loved. And people who love Gialli certainly appreciate him. But I don't think, like, when someone says, like, oh, you know, Italian directors of genre film, everyone goes to Fulci and Argento. Maybe... The Bavas. The ba- oh, of course, the Bavas. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, someone like Martino, I don't think he gets as much attention from folks who are not obsessive you know what i mean like the people who know know but of course they do because they have really dug deep you know yeah 
But I think that's all. I think that's all we can really say about. Yeah, there's not I, again other than the weird voodoo thing. There's not a lot to say, sort of, of the context of the film. I do always kind of like the whole like uh, prisoners outside of the whatever situation, but you know, there's really only one prisoner who's like a human being. So that was that's you know whatever. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's I I don't know. I found it a, a pretty fun movie to watch. I you know. I don't know that you need to write a dissertation on it, but if you're looking for a fun sort of like throw on with when you can hang out with friends again, I would very much recommend this. Agreed. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1995's science fiction horror film, Screamers. We'll be right back. There is a new terror in their midst. Call it a screamer. It was developed for us by Alliance on Earth to neutralize the war on the ground here. How do you know it's dead? They yanked this brain out. Pretty smart. Yeah, maybe too smart. This one seems to have modified itself. It was designed to protect them from their enemies until it turned its sights on them. Are they alive? No one knows. They make themselves now. I heard the screaming. And then it got very quiet. Nothing. Except the smell of death. Chuck, we got a new kind of screamer. He was like a person. What are they supposed to look like? Oh, you mean who are they supposed to look like? They're smarter now. That's how they get into our bunkers. Once it gets inside, that's when the killing starts. Now, the only way to tell man... He's one of them. ...from the sheen... Is by the sound of their scream. Things ain't what they used to be. And we are back to talk about 1995's Canadian American science fiction horror film, Screamers, starring Peter Weller and Jennifer Rubin, directed by Christian Duguay. Uh, it was written by Dan O'Bannon. You know who Dan O'Bannon is. And it's based on a Philip K. Dick short story, Second Variety. Ha- Liam, have you ever read this st- the short story, Second Variety? I have not. Uh, it actually has a much darker ending um, in that version. It's called the Second Variety because they have the first variety of screamers, which is the little you know rat-like screamers. And then they have the third variety, which is the child. The fourth variety, which is the dickhead soldier. And at the very end, he finds out that the second variety is actually that woman, and she kills him. By him, I mean um, Peter Weller's character, and it takes place on Earth. Earth has been devastated by the Screamers. Um, She gets in the escape pod to go to the moon to, uh, you know, kill the people there. And, of course, because it's a Philip K. Dick story, the morality of it is, you know, as the main titular protagonist is laying there, not titular, uh, as the protagonist is laying there dying, he marvels at, you know, how human-like the machines have become because not only have they learned to act like us, but they've started figuring out ways to destroy each other, which is, I'm like, that's the moral of every, like, Philip K. Dick story. Oh, yeah, certainly. So, um, I used to watch this movie when I was a kid, and I, I really liked this movie. I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I was kind of afraid that it wasn't going to hold up. And I'm glad to say that it has. It, it's held up. To the point of, there's actually parts in this movie that didn't really bother me when I was a little kid. That kind of got under my skin watching it now. Uh, I was tweeting about this. There's the scene at the end when 
um, they go back to the to the main bunker where, where Peter Weller's character goes back to the bunker that they start out at, and he's like talking to a superior officer, and as he's like realizing like, oh shit, they've gotten in there and they've like replicated everyone. Um, I don't know why, but there was just something about that scene that just like that that like just got to me in like a very in a, in a very strange way. Um, I think it's probably because I'm terrified of things that like look and sound like people but aren't quite people. Mm, sure. Did you was have, have you've seen this movie before, right? I've never seen it before. This is one of really? the ones that I've heard about. Put this next to um, Trancers and. There's there's a whole bunch of movies that all sound like people just brainstorm names like they're just it, things doing things. Yeah, it was like Cronenberg put out Scanners, and then yes. before you knew it, there was Scanner Cops, and there were Trancers, and there was Screamers, and there was you know what I'm saying. So that's that's how I felt about this movie, and I never gave it a chance. Uh, no real reason, just just never got around to it. Um, so this is a first time watch for me. It really reminded me not in a direct way, but in an abstract way, of Split Second. In that... Okay, yeah. In that it is the sort of 90s film that is high concept, but it just can't execute at the level of the idea. Like, I feel like a lot more time is spent working out the various backstories and dynamics of the world that we're in, and not all of the movie works. So, like, a lot of the early stuff is kind of slow... Some of the stuff on the way through is like just not great, you know. It's just it's not bad, but it's kind of like low budgety, trying to make it work. How do we sort of make these things kind of scary? Uh, there's a real effort to like give you the idea, like, well, they've taken over the whole planet, and yet there's large sections of time where like there just aren't any screamers, you know. And then suddenly there's a million screamers, you know what I mean? So yeah. And that's not like a huge diss per se. It's just the difficulty of figuring out how you make this concept work. And again, knowing it's from a Philip K. Dick story, it makes sense, right? Like you are trying to rewrite this story in a way that you can make a bigger kind of movie, but this is not y'all a hundred million dollar, 200 million. You know what I mean? And it's not a CGI film. That wasn't really, there's some stuff in here, but it's not, that wasn't an option like it is in the 2000s. You know what I mean? So there's limitations of what they can do. And I think it's pretty effective. You know, the the the, the opening part where the guy is trying to bring the message and he's getting torn apart by the screamers. Yeah. That, that fucking works. That very That's much rough. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, by the end when the two lady screamers are fighting each other in the thing... It, it's I'm a little tired of it by that point, you know. It just doesn't quite follow through for me, which doesn't make the movie bad. It's just not whatever. But every time I would think about the idea of the movie, and and not just the stuff that's directly taken from Philip K. Dick, I think even the additional stuff here is interesting. The idea that there's a cold war between this alliance and the company, and that this planet is like the basically like. Uh, functions like South America did for us during the Cold War, you know, like that's where the Cold War becomes hot. I love that shit. All of that is actually really well thought out and interesting. But that doesn't make every part of the movie exciting. And some of the stuff like 
we made a reference, uh, you made a reference earlier, to like the porno glasses or the go-go dancer glasses. <laughs> that whole scene was kind of dumb. Like for me, it's yeah. just you, whatever. But as much as there are little things I can criticize, I think for anyone who's familiar with this, this is to me a style of 90s filmmaking. We have big ideas. We have a couple of name actors, but we don't have a ton of money. So we're going to put something together. It's going to live on video. It's not going to have a huge theatrical, if it had any theatrical at all, but it's going to play on cable and you're going to be able to rent it from the video store and we're going to make our money back. That's a whole genre of film. And if you're already familiar with those movies, this is one of the better ones. Like, I, you know, obviously I have a little more affection for something like Split Second just because of Rucker Hauer. And, and we talked about that on that episode. People should go check it out. They haven't heard it. But, uh, but Peter Weller is, you know, he's doing pretty good in this movie. I, I, I appreciate him in this movie. And, you know, those, the screamers are fucked up. I, I, the, the little kid screamers kind of fucked up. I think once we get to like, the snarly soldier screamer. I'm a little like, okay, all right. That guy just sucks. I fucking hate that dude. Yeah, it's just, it. he was so, this is like the classic thing, right? We're talking about how Island of the Fishmen has Italian uh, flavors, right? This film almost had a red herring going on until you realize they weren't smart enough to have that fucking military dude be a red herring. Like the whole time you're like, no, oh, there's the fucking screamer guy. And then it's like, it can't be him. It's got to be the nice kid because you wouldn't make it him. That's too obvious. And it's almost like the film's like, we know it's too obvious. That's why it is him. Oh, I we reverse like psychology to you. I do like how I want to talk about something that I, that I really didn't like about this movie. Like thematically, um, I do like the fact that they one of the things that they're like, oh, we figured out who is who because like they have they tend to like repeat the same phrase. Like the sure. little boy says, sure. like, can I come with you? And then there's the one guy who's like the other um, strike breaker. Uh, and he keeps saying, like, oh, get off my back. And they're like, yeah, are you sure you're not a screamer? Ah, you keep saying you get off my back. And meanwhile, like the dickhead soldier keeps fucking quoting Shakespeare and like a lot like it, it's almost like annoying and I kind of like the fact that it's like oh they don't have to say these they don't have to get hung up on these like little catchphrases like they can they can fall back on you know quoting a certain like a certain work or a certain author or something like that I thought that was 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 kind of interesting um and then like the fact that they were like they say straight up like the second variety of screamer is a wounded soldier. And then like when they blow up the, uh, the bunker at the end and that guy's laying on the ground going like, Oh, someone help me. Someone help me. And like, I had forgotten that that guy actually ended up being like the, 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 the screamer. So as soon as that happened, I was like, Oh, right. Okay. That's actually, I thought that was like kind of cool how they came back with that. What I didn't like though, what I really didn't like about this movie is that, all of the human drama in this film that they lean into, that they 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 deliberately manufacture. Because I think I think Peter Weller's sidekick, like that that ace guy, like the the grunt soldier, I think that dude is awesome. I think like the relationship he has with Peter Weller, I think that is like that's good enough for me. There didn't need to be like romance in this movie. Um, the fact that there's a screamer that develops feelings for humans felt so fucking unearned and cheap that it actually like took something away from me from watching this movie this time. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. And you know, and 
I mean, the, it makes sense. I mean, like if you if you if you if you sit down and you really think about it, if you take the implications of the film to the to their logical end, uh, it does make sense. But the movie doesn't do anything to earn that in the time it's given. I I don't know that it does make sense. How does it make sense? Because they're they've become complicated enough that like suddenly they yeah. can understand human emotion. No, nah, I don't buy it. I'm saying like if like I kind of okay. I like okay. Let's say there's these machines that are like. That they're because they talk about um, when the, the one soldier's like, "Where do they come from?" They're like, "I don't know." They're underground. He's like, "Well, what are they doing down there?" Like building, building each other. And he's like, "How many are there?" He's like, "I don't know." They're like, "How do they do it?" He's like, I, "No one knows." Like, I'm all in on there being like a machine that keeps creating copies of itself that just get better and better with each iteration. And I'm okay with eventually there being a machine that like thinks it's human. I just don't think this movie really like. That's like something that that that's that's like Terminator Two territory where they do earn, right? They do earn that. In this movie, it's just like we have every screamer we see is literally either trying to actively kill you or planning on killing you. That's all these things do. And I mean, then we let- have. I was, then I was going to say, and then all of a sudden we have one that's like, like wants to fuck Peter Well. Like what the fuck? Is, no, that just it doesn't work. I. Let me put my cards on the table. I don't even buy it in Terminator 2, personally, but whatever. I'm talking the director's cut. I'm talking the director's cut. No, I still don't buy it. But Fuck you. I really don't. I just don't. Um, and I think in this movie, it's very unearned. It just becomes like, how do we keep upping the ante and surprising the audience? Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, especially because the kids are so not believable. Like if if they had spent the time with a kid and you the whole time I'm watching this movie, this is our first time watched for me. I'm like, something's wrong with that kid. He's probably a robot. You can hear it in his voice. His voice sounds like a robot voice when when he's when he asks to go with them. Like there's reverb on the voice. You can hear it. So the idea that this fucking kid is a thing, and then there's also these other screamers that are like long con screamers. Like those, look. It would have been more believable, though I guess you'd have to figure out how the Screamers were on another planet. But it'd be more believable if it was the endearing kid because um, he hasn't been there that long and he doesn't understand anything. So it's like he's learning about where he's at. These other two Screamers, they're just hanging out. They're playing the long con. And I, I'm just not convinced that that in and of itself makes sense, let alone that like, oh, and also this one is so advanced that now she loves Peter Weller. It's worth pointing out that they stumble, like when Peter Weller and, and his like homie, they stumble upon the bunker with three other people in it. Two out of those three people are screamers. And for whatever reason, they haven't killed the third guy. It doesn't make a lick of sense, which sounds like a hard criticism. The movie is pretty entertaining, even though it doesn't make sense. It's just by the time... I mean, here's the deal for me, Justin. Let's say that isn't the plot test, and she's just a human he's trying to save, right? Yeah. I buy he's trying to save her. Even if she's a human, I don't buy that they're in love. They have not spent enough time together. So the idea that not only are they in love, but she's a fucking robot, fuck you. Like, it just doesn't work. I will say the greatest fucking betrayal of the sequel by the way is that we're meant to believe that he gets all the way to earth and then kills himself on the way into the atmosphere i guess because there was another screamer on the ship or something oh because the teddy bear at the end of of this one he has the teddy bear with him 
Yeah, that's the last shot of the movie. The camera pans down to the teddy bear on the floor, and it starts to move. Oh, I missed that. I didn't notice that. But even even that, even that, even knowing that, yeah. what the fuck was one screamer going to do? Like, it lands, oh shit, there's a screamer there. They know how to kill these things. Like, there's yeah. just one. No, in, in, in the sequel, he's, he's dead. He's long dead. But they discover the guy who invented the screamers, he's still alive. That's oh, do the do the screamers have like weird, uh, Deltorian like vampire blade two mouth jaws? Yes, the next generation of screamers do. Interesting yes. and predictable. Yeah, it's very. Anyway, sorry, we don't have to get into the shitty sequel, which is. I, shitty. I just can, can we can we talk about for a second how it, you had said how it's like um, it's kind of cool how this movie takes place. It's like a cold, not even, a, it, it, it's a hot war on this planet that they're on, Sirius 6B. But they're trying between, to avoid a shooting war on Earth. On Earth, yeah. And it's not between countries. It's between, like, a union and a fucking mining company, essentially. Right. I think that's amazing. I think that is so fucking cool that... And historically accurate, right? There have actually oh, been yeah. wars between uh, unions that's, and mining companies. That's a real that's thing like that the, happened. That's like the Battle of Blair Mountain... Right. in space and with screamers. But the difference here is that people align behind the union. Like, in yeah. the real world, uh, unions did this shit on their own and the government backed the corporation. In this world, not just the U.S. government, the world governments form an alliance because this corporation is so fucked and they're poisoning everyone, so they form up behind the union, which is like almost unbelievable. It's like almost like... Uh, less believable than the than the uh, emotional robot, but it works <laughs> and it makes the movie that much more interesting. But again, high high concept. The execution isn't always there, y'all. Like if you're if you're thinking like if you read the backstory of this on paper and then you're thinking you're gonna get some like super intricate plot where that's just not where this movie is. Um, but I kind of appreciate that. I appreciate the thought that went into that backstory. And it p- does play out a little bit in the film, um, especially with the idea that Peter Weller's like, well, if they're going to start a shooting war on another planet, we're going to like resolve our differences here because fuck this shit. I was, oh, yeah. I was all about that as the motivation action of the film. But the idea that like maybe the screamers have orchestrated this whole thing was also very interesting to me that like the, the movie doesn't actually clarify what's happening on earth, which I thought was really smart. Um, and it sort of ends in a way where you're thinking, was any of the political stuff real or were the screamers orchestrating this whole thing to facilitate their eradication of the human race? I don't know. That's a good question. I tend to, I mean, because when they, it's, it's, one one of the the really cool things about this movie, um, and I, I it, this is because of budgetary reasons. This isn't this wasn't like an artistic choice. Is how when they get to this bunker, when they're explaining to Peter, they're like, "Oh, you guys are all that's left," and they're like, "Oh yeah, like we heard like down below us, like we just kept hearing screaming, and then it just got quiet, and then they go down there, and fucking everyone is dead, and." It's they never explain why the screamers are doing this. They never like explicitly say it. But there are several scenes when the screamers would like kill someone and then just drag the body underground. And it's like they don't like they they, they address it. They're like, why do they do that? And Peter Rogers like, I don't know. They just do it. 
And the fact that they kind of like dispose of the bodies for their own like, I mean, obviously, I think it's the implications are that they're like taking these bodies to like look at to figure out how they can copy us. Which is what I would do well, if I was a screamer. I mean, I will say that what the the only innovation the sequel has that is very good is that um, the reason the screamers do advance a little bit in their ability to copy humans is that they stop copying humans. They just become cyborgs. So like they're stealing all the bodies and all they do is replace the brain with screamer tech and they put other things like your most of your body is human but aspects of it aren't including the weird fucking mandible mouth and so uh there's a horrifying moment Mo- again most of movies stupid but there is a horrifying moment where someone has sort of let's say screamered out and they say to the person they're trying to kill you know they don't take all of you out of there right like i'm still in here but i'm not in control but i'll tell you what i'm kind of enjoying myself and it was one of the few insights that that movie had because for the most part it's trash. But I thought, oh, yeah, what a what an elegant solution to the idea of why are they taking all the bodies? Uh, parts they need parts, uh, and and so like I I kind of appreciate that 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 it it kind of like improves a little bit. But the where it ends and the idea of what the ultimate end of the screamers is is like so stupid that it it made the movie even worse. Anyone who has any other screamers, the hunting related questions, you can send them direct to Liam at Liam Rules, R U L Z, at Twitter. Okay, let's wrap up. Okay. You just put me on blast for people to talk about screamers, the hunting. So I'm ready hey, to be. Hey, you're done. the one who watched it. That's, that's, that's a can of worms that you opened. All right. Hey, this movie's pretty good. It's all, yeah, you should watch it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it has a few. Uh, I, you know, it's 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 kind of a trope. One last thing I'll say, it's kind of a trope at this point. In 2021, it's a bit of a trope. I'm saying when that little kid walks up on Peter Weller and fucking screamers out in his fucking mouth and his gapes and his eyes roll back, that shit got me. That shit was still fucking creepy. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know that the movie does enough to explain why they scream. It uh. No, they do because it's scary. They it's psychological warfare. They do it to fuck with people. I know that just that uh, whatever. It's it just felt like such a movie moment. I think it wouldn't have been that hard to come up with another reason. Look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I pitched to you my pornographic parody of this movie called Creamers right before we start re- recording, and it upset you so much that you don't want to think about it. But uh, you know what? It's my curse that I I see everything as porn parodies. Can you just thank everybody for listening, please? <laughs> all right y'all thank you for listening um thank you very much to our patrons on patreon if you want to become a patron you can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks you can head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this show and many other shows including cinepunks black sun dispatches tomb of ideas whole bunch of other shit uh a bunch of our shows just put out really awesome new episodes including cinema smorgasbord a new episode of cinepunks dropped today you should go check out uh there was a new episode of black sun dispatches that tells you why living in the desert fucking sucks especially when it's outside the city under the black sun um there's also merch you can buy you can buy hard business shirts um i don't know maybe i'll get some new hard business shirts made soon i don't know i don't know if i have the money for that i might um you should also check out lehigh valley apparel creations for all your screen printing needs at www.xlvacx.com at six coffee roasters for all your uh, roasted coffee needs, um, sxcoffeeroasters.com. Enter promo code CinePunks for 10% off. 
Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheHarBiz666. And um, until next time, Ron Johnson is a cuck. He's a cuck, 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 cuck. <laughs> I appreciate it. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy. Haunted railroads. Sentient umbrella spirits. Mind-altering video games. Remote viewing. SpongeBob conspiracy theories. And only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!